Welcome to the Deeper Dive Podcast, brought to you by the OC Church of Christ. The Deeper Dive Podcast is about going deeper into God's Word, learning new insight, and taking a fresh look at the verses that impact our daily lives. Today, we have the privilege of hearing from Martin Chires. Martin and his wife Tina lead the Spanish ministry of the OC Church. Martin also serves as the director of Tijuana Border Programs for Hope Worldwide. Martin also has an MA in Religious Education and Missional Leadership. In this episode, Martin is going to dive deeper into how to read the Gospels and why we have four of them. So get your scuba gear and let's dive deep into God's Word. Here's Martin Chires. Greetings. Uh, my name is Martin Chires, and I'm grateful to be able to join our OC Deeper Dive uh, podcast uh, in this episode. I want to perhaps uh, open up a conversation uh, about how uh, we should be reading uh, the Gospels. Uh, we are all uh, at this point in our Christianity very much familiar uh, with the four Gospels that are in Scripture. Um, and what I want to encourage us to think about today is um, how we are currently engaging with those Gospels. So our conversation today uh, may not end with practicals and insights on what to do, uh, but more than anything, I think it's placing uh, on the table here a conversation uh, to consider, uh, to analyze uh, whether we are having healthy engagement with the Gospels. Um, so that's kind of what we're going to be doing. Let me start by asking this question. Do you ever feel bored in reading the Gospels, whether that's Mark, Matthew, John, Luke? Do you ever feel like, I've already read this. I already know what's going to happen. And it sounds bad <laughs> to say out loud, um, but perhaps you and I can relate. Uh, I think there was a period of time in my Christianity where I wanted to know more about Jesus. And at the same time, I felt like I wish there was more to know about Jesus besides what's written in the four gospels. Uh, because I think internally what I was wrestling and feeling was I'm kind of bored by reading the same stories over and over again. Now, obviously, there's a lot that I'm, I was way off in, right? Um, but perhaps you can, you can relate. I think what I want to share today is I want to present, like I said, a concern uh, about how we may be or not be engaging with the Gospels. Uh, I want to present a healthy criticism um, to our current practices, generally speaking, uh, and hopefully you receive an inspirational invitation uh, to renew uh, your engagement with the four Gospels. You know, how we perceive uh, the Gospels or how we read the Gospels, both personally or communally, meaning as a church, affects whether we are being formed to be a God-centered people or formed to be a self-centered or a church-centric or even worse, a Christian hero-centric 
people. Uh, what do I mean by that? I think there is a tension that is taking place uh, in Christianity in general, in our own spiritual formation, and in our own congregational formations. Uh, and the tension is whether we are going to be a God-centered people, a God-centered church, uh, or we're going to be a self-centered people and a church-centric church. Uh, what do I mean by that? I think how we read the Gospels is going to determine who, where we're going to end up. Now, we all want to be God-centered people, but because we want that, that doesn't always mean we end up there. And I think, uh, as I'm going to share here a little bit, I think that, you know, the ways that we have maybe become bored with the Gospels, um, the way that we have historically been trying to harmonize four Gospels into one major narrative has hindered and influenced us uh, uh, in our spiritual formation. So bear with me here as I uh, kind of unpack what I'm introducing right now. So I, I want to say here that I think there's four uh, concerns that, that I want to have for healthy criticisms uh, on how we are reading one of the Gospels or all four of the Gospels. I think, number one, um, these Gospels have become a low-impact scripture in our lives. I think we have become somewhat bored with them. I think when we read them, they can become uh, and feel like predictable. We already know, you know, what God, Jesus is going to do. We already know how the disciples respond. We already know what the Pharisees are going to do. And it's leading us towards, you know, Passion Week or the cross uh, and sometimes we're not emotionally ready to read uh, the passion account in these gospels. And so we tend to stop reading. And so uh, what that uh, produced is, uh, is a very low impact uh, gospel in our lives. Um, and then we uh, become spiritually hungry because we're not being impacted by the Gospels, and so we try to go to other books of the Bible, which is great. We go to other spiritual resources, which, which are great, um, but we never want to become a people, a church that is no longer receiving high impact and high influence uh, from the Gospels. Uh, and so how do we remedy that, especially we've been around the faith for a very long time? Well, the problem here, number two, that I want to lay out is that historically, we have viewed the Gospels as the prelude. Uh, that means that it's the introduction of something to something important. Uh, uh, so what I want to present today is this criticism, this, uh, you know, um, uh, this analysis that um, we, J 
generally speaking, have viewed the Gospels as a prelude to the good stuff rather than the good stuff. And so, for example, we'll read Luke uh, and Acts um, from a historian perspective. Um, But Luke is not a historian. He's not writing uh, to remind us of the history. Uh, Luke is a theologian. Uh, There are theological themes in Luke that are healthy and relevant and fresh to us now, but because we have this view that, you know, this is what Jesus did before the church started. uh, I think that perspective hinders us from encountering the gospel in new ways. So problem number one, it's having low impact. It's becoming predictable. It's become predictable. It's somewhat boring. Uh, It shows us uh, an inactive historical Jesus that's not very relevant. Uh, Problem number two, I I think we have this perspective where uh, the gospels are, we view them as, you know, the introduction to something important. And so we want to get to the important stuff. We want to get to the church in Acts. We want to get to the letters. We want to get to Revelation. And then we're feeling somewhat confused still or empty. Um, and I think it's that's not the case. Uh, I think the Gospels were actually written um, later, uh, not as history, but they were written later to speak to the context and the life of specific audiences and churches. And so the gospel should be read as not the prelude, but the main stuff, (laughs) Um, which we'll get to in just, in just a second. Let me share two more problems uh, that I see us having. Uh, Number three, I think we're an anxiously driven people, (laughs) anxiety driven people, uh, which we are driven because we're anxious and we live in an anxious culture. Uh, our lives are, are full of different tensions. We are rushing. Uh, obviously, we're learning about slowing down. We're learning about spiritual practices, but that tension is still exists. But because of that anxiety, we are quickly driven to be entertained. Uh, okay. And what that means is that slowing down is agonizing. Oh, it, slowing down is difficult. So to slow down and to read a gospel for a month or two months, that may be difficult for us um, because we are not in the habit of slowing down. Uh, if you're anything like me, uh, you are in the middle of three or four Netflix shows <laughs> uh, and a new show is coming on and you want to start it, um, but you haven't finished the other ones or you uh, you just picked up a new book, but you haven't finished the previous three or you're still learning about uh, healthy uh, exercise, um, eating uh, routines, um, but you haven't practiced the ones that you learned before. And so we're, we're always... Um, uh, uh, you know, uh, gaining new things without completing what we, what we started. And that's kind of an example of what I mean by we are anxiously driven to entertainment 
and slowing down is agonizing. So how does that connect with the scriptures? Well, if we already think uh, we know the answers when we read the scriptures, we already think we know what's going to happen. If we're already anticipating answers and we're viewing the scriptures, the gospels as not the main thing, but as the prelude uh, and we're driven towards entertainment, you see the, you see the process here. It's going to become very difficult uh, to slow down and to enjoy the gospel, uh, to enter the world of one of the gospels and fully be immersed in that world and walk it through to completion. That's going to be difficult. Number four, and the, and the final concern that I want to present is that, again, historically, we have been trying to harmonize all four Gospels into one, you know, nice, ordered, chronological narrative. Um, but if God wanted to give us that, he would have given us one <laughs> harmonized gospel. Instead, he gives us four very different, very dynamic. Um, and so, again, historically, we have been trying to harmonize uh, this gospel into an order it's because we are people that need to have order. We want to have certain control. Uh, we want to have predetermined outcomes to feel great about ourselves, and that bleeds into our engagement with Scripture, and in this case, the Gospels. Hope you're with me so far. And so what happens when we uh, live in a world, uh, in an imaginative biblical realm, where we are trying to harmonize the Gospels? Well, it hinders our discernment in our spiritual formation. Um, you know, what, what ends up happening is that we miss out on the things that each gospel is presenting. And in just a second, I want to give you a quick summary of how different each gospel is. Um, but first, I want to, you know, kind of uh, wrap up what I'm presenting these, these four problems. Uh, so hopefully you see that if you uh, if we anticipate meaning, um, then we're no longer going to be surprised. And so it has low impact in our lives. Uh, if we view it as history rather than theology, then we're not really engaging with the living God. Uh, we are creating an image of a distant, far away, back in the day God. Um, and I think the Gospels are written quite for the opposite purpose to, I think they're written to help us to see the relevant current activities of the living God. Um, and again, if we are uh, viewing the gospel um, as, you know, something that we already know, then we're going to be easily bored and we're not going to be engaged. We're going to be, you know, spiritually uh, nomads going from place to place without having a foundation of entering a gospel world. I'm going to use that phrase and living in that world, learning that world, being formed by the Jesus in that world. And I want to add more to that in just 
a second. Um, so hopefully I'm presenting here uh, a little bit of the challenges, uh, a little bit of healthy criticism to all of us, including myself, of course, uh, but more importantly, an invitation to encounter the Gospels in new and refreshing ways. You know, the Gospels are each their own unique world. They are not intended to be harmonized. Yes, there's borrowing from one another. There's, you know, all of that that I don't want to get into right now, uh, which is good and healthy to know. But I want to be clear on this. They are each their own unique world. Uh, one example might be, you know, we're not going to mix up uh, the Star Wars universe with <laughs> the Marvel universe. Well, actually, now there's multiverse. So, um, you know, those are two different universe, uh, two different movies, two different themes uh, that need to be enjoyed within their own, you know, uh, frames and uh, and backgrounds and, and themes. I think it's the same way for the Gospels. Um, you know, sometimes we remember things that Jesus has done, right? Jesus walked on water. Uh, Jesus, uh, you know, fed thousands. Uh, Jesus uh, calls Levi. Uh, Jesus asked Peter to, or Simon to, you know, hey, let's go out to deep sea and, and let's try fishing again. We remember those stories, but sometimes we don't remember what gospel they're in and why they're in that gospel and why they're not in all other gospels. And that's the point. I think we have a biblical memory of Jesus and his ministry, but we are lacking a biblical memory of the Jesus that's doing certain things in each gospel and why the Bible is recorded in that way. I hope that makes sense. And so harmonizing the gospel means that we are diluting the story. We're diluting theology. We're the, diluting the themes, the plots, and even the Jesus that is intended to speak to us from each of these worlds. Um, so harmonizing the gospels is more about extracting, taking from uh, what's, you know, what's important to us uh, rather than allowing each gospel to immerse us in what it wants us to learn, who it wants us to be. And so harmonizing is not helpful for our spiritual formation. It may be helpful for other things. I, I don't want to completely condemn uh, harmonizing um, the gospels, uh, but I don't think they form us spiritually. I, I think they don't make us a God-centered people and congregation. But if we allow personally and as a congregation to enter a gospel world for an extended period of time, and we learn the themes, the theology, the context, the, the social, uh, economic, uh, you know, con context, uh, the political context in each of its 
the worlds there. Uh, I think we're going to gain so much. We're going to be spiritually formed personally and communally. Um, I, I think we're going to become more of a God centered people because we're not extracting. We are being formed. Uh, we're not taking from scripture. We are being taken by scripture. So I want to say this. Part of what I'm saying here is I think we need to enter each gospel world, avoid harmonizing, allow ourselves to be in that gospel world for an extended period of time and be formed by the Jesus in that world, by the Holy Spirit in that world, by the theological um, direction of the evangelists that wrote that gospel. Uh, and I think that would bring about a formation, spiritual formation, a discernment um, that'll help us be a God-centered people. So the purpose of each gospel is to be read in its own terms. So there is a Luke world that has nothing to do with John's world uh, and so forth and so forth. And so what would it look like for us personally or congregationally or both to take three months, six months, how about a year in reading the, God, the Luke world of Luke and Acts or the John world or the Mark world or the Matthew world? What, what would that be like? So let me share a couple of the themes here of each uh, gospel uh, to give us an example of the possibilities of high impact influence if we were to read the gospels the way they were intended uh, for us to be read. You know, Matthew deals a lot with changes. The church is in transition, whatever church audience that was. There's a transition. And so the evangelist Matthew uh, over and over again is presenting to us the present God among us, right? It has the birth narrative. Mark doesn't have a birth narrative. Uh, John does not have a birth narrative. Matthew and Luke do. And why? And each of those birth narratives serve a different purpose within their own context. So Matthew's birth narrative really has nothing to do with Luke's birth narrative. Luke's birth narrative is doing something completely different. So Matthew's birth narrative emphasizes the birth of Emmanuel, God with us. How does the gospel of Matthew close? Go everywhere, right? Uh, to make disciples. I'm with you, what? Always. And so it begins with the God who is with us, and it ends with the God who is with us. Matthew, when it's read in its own terms, as its own world, all the way through, we will see these themes. When we are simply picking and choosing and harmonizing, we'll miss out on the purposes 
of Matthew. Another theme in the Gospel of Matthew is, you know, it's emphasizing that Jesus is greater than Moses, and Jesus is, uh, you know, the temple. Um, And so why is that important? Well, for the audience of Matthew, the temple was about to be destroyed or was recently destroyed. And so for Christian Jews uh, to worship God and no longer have access to the temple, uh, that was, to say the least, uh, a traumatic change in their lives and in their faith and in their culture. Um, And so, you know, for us this far apart, that doesn't really relate perhaps, but if your church is going through leadership changes, if we're going to societal changes, which we are, then Matthew is a great world to inform us on adaptive practices when a world ends and a new world begins, right? The world of temple is ending, the world now of community without a place, uh, a local place is beginning. But from beginning to end, Emmanuel, Emmanuel, God with us. So that's an example of the richness, the newness, the, the, the things that are there in Matthew that, as I'm arguing, I mentioned earlier, we miss out because of the four problems that I presented. Uh, and so um, that's Matthew. Uh, Mark, for example, um, you know, Mark quickly in chapter one through four, Jesus has already defeated Satan. So Satan's actually not a problem for Jesus in the gospel of Mark. Um, Jesus has power over demons. Jesus has power over illnesses and infirmities. And Jesus can has authority over creation, calming a storm in Mark chapter four. Now think about that. Jesus has defeated Satan. Jesus has power and authority over creation. Jesus has power over demonic forces. And Jesus has power over death and illness. That's chapter four already. So what's left? What's the big challenge for Jesus then? Surprise. The biggest challenge for Jesus is actually his disciples. That's not the theme of John, but that's the theme in Mark. And so the disciples who are slow to believe, slow to trust, who say the right things, but don't fully understand Uh, Right. Uh, When Jesus calms the storm in chapter four, they say to one another in fear, who is this? And then four chapters later in chapter eight, Jesus is is walking through Caesarea Philippi and all these villages. And he stands before his disciples and he says, who do the people say I am? Who do you think I am? So chapter four, it's the disciples who are asking, who is this? And Jesus walks with them to help them answer that. And then in chapter eight, he comes back to that question and he says, so who do you think I am now that you've seen and walked with me? And we know Peter answers, but even then 
it's clear, according to the themes of Mark, that Peter doesn't fully understand. And so then there's miracles about a blind man seen. And this blind man uh, needs to be touched by Jesus a second time in order to see. What is Mark doing? It's letting us know Peter thinks he sees, but he doesn't fully see. He's going to need a second touch. He's going to need more time, right? So if one of the themes in Mark is our slowness to participate faithfully in the mission and life of God, and we find a God who is patient with us, who is willing to walk with us, even though we're slow, even though we're creating challenges for his ministry. Uh, And then you add the human element of the teachers of the law and their envious desire to murder and assassinate Jesus, we see how humanity hinders the mission of God, but we also see how God is patient with humanity, calling us to be humanity in in God's terms. Uh, And so one of the themes in Mark is, is asking, what does it mean to be human in the world of God. Again, if we are trying to harmonize, if we read stories and we think we already know the answer, uh, if we um, are anxious and are not slowing down to pick up a commentary or a few and read for an extended period of time, a gospel, we're missing out and the gospel is no longer having an impact in our lives So our formation will be impacted. We will become a self-centered people. We will become a church-centric people, or we will become a church hero-centric people rather than a God-centered people. Luke, Luke and Acts. Luke is, is volume one, Acts is volume two. Who's the protagonist in Luke? It's not Jesus. The protagonist in Luke is the Holy Spirit. Jesus does nothing without being initiated by the Holy Spirit. And in Acts, the church does nothing without being initiated and led and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so if we read Luke and we miss the themes and directions and information and formation and presence uh, an activity of the Holy Spirit, then we're we're going to be missing out on a major emphasis in Luke. Luke is also very, uh, you know, favors uh, the outsiders, the marginalized, as people who model faith, and so it's the outsiders who are the models of faith for the insiders. You think that's relevant to us now? (laughs) Uh, And so if we are in a church context that wants to condemn things and people outside of the church, but doesn't slow down to discern what might God be up to (laughs) among those who are hurting. Uh, If we are a church or a people uh, who cannot listen to the pains of others, then we are missing out on God-centered formation according to the gospel of Luke and the book of 
acts. And so in Luke, uh, women become the protagonist. The birth narrative in Luke highlights the faithfulness of Elizabeth. Uh, Zechariah is muted because of his disbelief. Uh, Mary is highlighted as faithful participant in God's miraculous story. Um, and so uh, at the end of Luke, it is women who are running to uh, the tomb. Uh, it is women who are first proclaiming uh, the resurrection. And so what is Luke doing? Modeling the faithful model and participation of women. Well, Luke has a specific audience that is addressing, and it's going to be relevant to specific churches in every generation. Uh, so Luke and Acts is very much uh, needed for us to enter that world and discern in our context right now. And uh, another quick summary here, John, the gospel of John, uh, the most different gospel than all the others. But we find some of the themes in John is that we, we see how important the material world is. I think John is one of the most misunderstood uh, scriptures uh, where, you know, we have overemphasized that all that matters is the soul. Well, that's a terrible thing to say uh, to people who are in desperate need. Uh, and so Luke definitely touches on that as well. Um, you know, Luke, sorry, I'm going back to Luke, does not separate uh, the person from spirituality, physical needs, social needs. It, it's all together. Salvation includes all of those things. Uh, and so John does uh, more work on that by letting us know early that God has come. The word has become flesh. What does that mean? God has moved into the neighborhood. God is at work in the broken world. Where do we find God? In the broken world. What is God doing? John 3.16 tells us that God does not want to condemn the world, but wants to save the world. So where do we find God in the broken world? What is God doing? Wanting and saving this broken world world. And so, you know, we have overemphasized or used or misused rather the word world, <laughs> at least in our fellowship, uh, where it always means the absence of God. Well, actually for John, uh, it means that's where, where God is. Uh, that's where God is working. God is inviting us to join him in this broken world in God's mission. But wait, Martin, doesn't it say that, you know, he, he, he calls us out of the world? Yes. And then what does he do? He sends them right back into the world. And so Jesus calls us out of one world uh, and then uh, forms us spiritually and then sends us back to that world with a different ambition, with a different desire, with a different form mation which leads us to another theme in the gospel of john which is the the formation of our desires Ooh, this is a big one here 
I think for a very long time, we read scripture. We have been reading scripture to change our habits. And we've been reading scripture for knowledge and insight. And then we show it off with people. Um, but I actually, I think what John is doing is John is not trying to give us knowledge. I think John is trying to form our desires. Let me ask you a question. What's more powerful, your will or your desires? What does God want to transform first, your will or your desires? Well, in the gospel of John, I think theologically speaking, God is after the formation or reformation of our desires. How do we know that? Well, look at the beginning of the story and the end of the story. Again, this is only possible if we read the whole thing and we enter that world for an extended period of time in order for it to have high impact, not a low impact. So in the beginning, there's questions um, that are asked. Uh, Jesus says, what do you want? Um, as the disciples of John were following him from a distance without saying anything, Jesus turns around and says, what do you want? That's like saying, what do you desire? That's like saying, what do you love? Because what you love determines your entire life. What does Jesus say at the end? What are the questions at the end? One of the questions at the end is, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? What was the question at the beginning? What do you want? Or what do you desire? Or what do you love? What are the questions in the end? Do you love me? And so much of the work of the gospel of John is to shape our desires to love God and not love the world, but to go back as lovers of God in a broken world. And so we are in a broken world with the God who loves the world. And so we are lovers of God in a broken world in which God is uh, loving and healing, then we're going to be faithful participants of God. So you see the danger of reading the Gospels as a prelude to something important. I'm saying today at this podcast that the Gospels are actually the good stuff. They're the most important thing we have if we want to rank it, though that's always dangerous. Um, and I think we need to read it as the most relevant piece of scripture in our Bibles to our current circumstances. What this does, it leads us to believe in the living, present, and active God. If we believe the, the Gospels are low impact, predictable, and boring, or they're the prelude to something important. And we are dominated by anxiety to be entertained. So we can't slow down. And we are exhausted by trying to harmonize something that wasn't designed to be harmonized. We're going to miss out on being the people God called us to be. And God is not going to be in our minds, a present living and active God. He's going to be a far away distant historical God who came and left, and now we're waiting for him to come 
back. So we're here all alone, left to do God's work. That is heavy burden and an image I think that is in all of us. Perhaps that's a different uh, podcast there to unpack our image of God. But if we read the Gospels for the world that they're in without trying to harmonize, we give ourselves an extended period of time, I think we are going to discover new things. We're going to be formed to be God-centered, and we're going to discern in our lives, in our communities, in our church, the living, present, and active God. All right. So by now, in our culture, we're expecting practicals, and here's what you need to do. I don't want to do that. Um, I just want to present this conversation. Do you agree? Do you not agree? What surprises you? What are new things you discovered? What, what has the Holy Spirit already been saying to you that, that maybe something that was said today is connected to the whispers and direction of the Holy Spirit in your life and in your church? I'd rather us be thinking and discerning and reflecting than to wait for, you know, here's what you need to do. Now, if I want to be fair and honest to what I'm presenting, I'm going to leave it for us to discern, to talk about. All right. If you made it this far, grateful for you. We um, are almost done. I just want to say a couple of things here to close out that, you know, as we interact with each gospel in its own terms without harmonizing, as I've been saying, We're going to find that Jesus in all four Gospels in different ways is reenacting the story of Israel, which means that the audience of each Gospel is looking back, is being called to look back into what for us would be the Old Testament. And for them, it was just simply the scriptures to reinterpret what took place in the past in their new context. Think about how healthy that's going to be for us if we are able to see the faithfulness of God to Israel, which means that God is going to be faithful to us. Um, I think another thing that we're going to see is uh, we're going to see the theological themes uh, that you know we're going to be co- forced, encouraged, compelled to interpret, to discern. And in all of them, we're going to find the activities of the living God. So we can then ask these questions. Well, what is God up to now? How do we join God in what God is doing? Who are we called to be in these circumstances? Uh, What I mean is that each gospel, when entered, respected, and read in its own terms of engagement, forms in us discernment and wisdom about the living God. When we engage the Gospels again on their own terms with an extended period of time from beginning to end without trying to anticipate answers, what happens? Well, God becomes the protagonist, not us. That's important if we want to be a God-centered people. This is God's mission, not ours. This is God's activities and invitations to join him, not ours. Um, If we're counting, this would be number four, and we have seven, so we're almost there. 
you know, community precedes productivity. Uh, when we enter the world of the Gospels on their terms, uh, and we are fully immersed uh, in these worlds, um, what ends up happening is that uh, who we need to be becomes the, sta- the starting point rather than what we need to do. And the order there is important. Be and do, not do-do. So don't be do-do. <laughs> Number five, uh, we will learn to be led, to be invited, and to be surprised, meaning we're not going to be bored. Uh, we are not going to be anticipating uh, themes and points and answers that we've heard all our lives. We're actually going to discover new things because uh, we're entering that world to be taken we're not entering that world to extract or to take. Um, number six, we got to read each gospels for what it is. Uh, it is a story. Um, it is a narrative and it needs to be embraced. Uh, it is comprehensible, but it's also mystery at the same time. We're not going to figure it all out. Um And so the challenge is that we have been historically reading uh, scripture uh, with the priority to rationalize everything, to provide an answer for everything. And that leaves no room for mystery, making us the protagonists and the key interpreters rather than the participants who are invited to discern and be faithful. Hopefully you can see that. Number seven, and we are done. Overall, I think engaging the Gospels in their terms to an extended period of time without rushing forms us to be God-centered. And we discern that God is in mission in the world. We discern God's activities. Therefore, we can rejoice that our God is a living, present, and active God. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Perhaps you had to pause. Uh, perhaps um, you know, you're still wrestling with some of these things. Or maybe everything here was somewhat new and confusing to you. Hey, give it another listen. Uh, stop rushing. Slow down. All right. We're going to close it out right here. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Martin. And thank you for listening to Deeper Dive by the OC Church of Christ. If you want to get connected to us or want to donate to the program, go to our website, occhurchofchrist.com or through social media at the OC Church. Join us next time for our next Deeper Dive.